spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andian from Spoken Label. A spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and records show it started off really as a one-off podcast chatting to writers, poets and artists. Over time, it became monthly, then weekly and occasionally nowadays it goes on that to a more regular basis. To date, I've done over 330 sessions and I'm always looking for new poets, writers, artists, singer-songwriters, general interesting creative people to come onto the podcast. You can find this on all the usual networks over Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay and dozens of others. But it does have a central database of spoken label, which is all one word, dot bandcamp.com. Obviously now, to help me with the running costs of this podcast, I'm always grateful for any kind of donation to assist me with it. You can either do the donation through the Bandcamp page by putting in a fee to download one of the free podcasts, or send it over to my PayPal to aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. My email address again is aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. Enjoy the podcast. Take care. Bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. Andy N. Spoken Label. Back in the house on a Friday afternoon, which is rare for me today. Usually I do is more Sunday and Mondays, but a special writer with me today. A lady that we've been, I've been chatting to for a few months now and... Shows is sometimes due. You've done it with diaries. We can never get the quite days to match up sometimes. But I've got a wonderful Judy with me today. Now, Judy's going to talk about her debut novel, which I've been just finished this morning. It's absolutely tremendous. Now, Judy, obviously, tell people, first of all, a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, and what started off your creativity. Yeah, no, thank you, Andy. I mean, first, thank you so much for having me on here. I know we've been chatting for a few months. I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, a bit about myself. So I am from um, Texas in the United States. Uh, I mostly grew up in Texas, went to school and everything here. Um, and then with a little bit of a stint, I I taught English in Japan for a little bit. And uh, and then I came back to Texas and now I'm in Dallas. Um, and during during this whole time, like ever since I was young, I've I've always wanted to write like a book. Um I've always had all these different ideas and uh, that's kind of where, where all this started. And during the pandemic, I took action and um, now I am a published author uh, for the book called The Vending Portal, which is a young adult 
sci-fi dystopia book and really those are like the genres that I personally really love um yeah that's me I'm a published author now tremendous excellent now there's plenty I want to talk to you about this obviously like I said because I've read the book and I really enjoyed this book because obviously you did a very good job on this now but obviously I'm just going right back to the beginning then obviously because I can see from obviously reading up on you I know you graduated originally from Rice University in Houston didn't you studying history and Asian studies and education so how does this impact on your book first of all then yeah that's a really great question I mean I think as with a lot of people in the United States, usually when we go into university, we don't know what we're going to hmm. major in or study. And that that was me when I went in. I thought I was going to be economics. And then I took this really difficult course. And I was like, that's not for me. I took English. I kind of liked it, but it was it wasn't quite, you know, my it didn't really vibe with me. And so I ended up taking a few history courses and I, I found that 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 really hit it off for me. I really enjoyed reading about it. I mean, it was a lot of reading and I really enjoyed that. And in a way, history is like stories. Um, and I think we can see in a lot of genres today, like a lot of them are based off of history, even like the fictional ones. They're all kind of inspired by history. Sometimes we draw like inspiration from historical characters or happenings. Um so I I kind of approached it that way. And that's how I came to that. And then my interest was in Asian studies. And I mostly focused on pre-modern China. Um, you know, so during like the dynastic period. Um, and then from there, I mean, my mom is a lifetime educator. She's a teacher. Ah. And so I was not unfamiliar. Yeah. I mean, makes, she makes she, sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so she taught Mandarin. And so I thought, OK, you know, maybe I, I will do education. And so I did a lot of uh, graduate courses in education. Mm. Um, I didn't realize it, but like, you're right. It really did affect um, some of my writing in that, like, I'm very passionate about like Asian-American um, news or Asian American um, like platforms, right? I, I really mm. want to support that. I want to increase exposure to to Asian American like creatives and art, um, and that's part of the inspiration for the vending portal, where I have these young women or girls, um, and they are Asian Western since America doesn't mm. exist in this world, but they're Asian Western because I want I want a bit more of that. Um, exposure for for that group and i know over the recent years like it's been it's been getting better it's great like i don't know if you've seen it andy but there was like crazy rich asians um yeah, everything everywhere all at once yeah. shang chi um yeah, it's the, the the full world i think it is obviously i'm old i'm an old fan now almost right yeah but you're right with the third way it's gone the, you look at the marvel universe for example which i know obviously mm -hmm. You're a massive fan of it straight away. You're right. It's, everything's changed in it completely, hasn't it, really? Everything, the full world's moving on in a different direction. For the better, really, as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool to see it happening, like, in our lifetime. Obviously, there's still a lot more work to do. And I thought, you know what? For, like, young adult, like, middle school to high school books... There are a few out there, but I still don't see it as much. Like my first thoughts are like Harry Potter, like Narnia series, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Um, I think Golden Compass, like those are the more or the very popular ones. Um, and so I wanted to add a little more to that. And I think with my 
with my like, you know, studies in, in education as well, like just, I think it's really important to help educate like our youth and create these spaces for them. Um, yeah. And then I think just with my studies, like there was just a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of research. And that's what I did for this book. I, um, there are like some parts with the, with aquariums and stuff. It's like kind of focused a little bit on marine life and I had to do a little bit of research on like world aquariums. Right. And like, Ooh, like how big are they? Like what, <laughs> what's the technology in this? How thick is the glass? Like, yeah, it's, it was very interesting. Yeah. It's, um, Interesting. When you're doing, the, you're doing got what is clearly with this book. The, uh, I'm not going to give spoilers away because we'll keep off that game. <laughs> but there is a hint in it that this definitely could be a series in a series. I held straight away. And with that being the case, and you actually have to do the world building really in this first book. And was to how did that go for you then as a process then? Yes, I am so glad you asked that question because the world building was a huge part of the beginning. Um, so over the years, I have been taking like little notes here and there, but nothing super put together. Um, they were all just thoughts just mm. floating around. And so when I finally, you know, set my heart to writing this book, it required a lot of organizing and stitching together. And I will say the first three or four months um, after I decided like, yes, this is going to happen. Uh, it was all world building. I was not writing. It was, what does this world look like? Okay, what's happening in this world? Like, what are the differences between our world and this world that I'm building? Because obviously I'm going to pull from what I know. Um, you know, what What about the similarities, right? Like, what do I want to... And I, I kind of do this very lightly in the book because the book is meant to be a fun read, but I also do want it to start conversation so I was thinking, okay, what in our society do I want to bring to our readers' attention? Um, but through the conduit of like this new world, um, because it's a dystopia. So I want them to think about, okay, what makes a good society? What about our society, you know? Mm, and so course. brainstorming a lot of that and then also brainstorming who our characters are outside of the story. So the main characters are Mel and Sage and Lewis, like who are they? What are they inspired by like what motivates them and i found that um i really did base the two main protagonists off of myself and my sister i was um, going to ask you that next then was that yeah which one of those two was it based on you and was it who was the other one based on you always find that don't you i know obviously you i mean you know you've done lots of you write lots of little short stories and stuff and i always believe in writing mm -hmm. you've got to put something of yourself in everything you write so yeah can't make sense of mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, and you're right. Like, we have to put a bit of ourselves in here. And that's what makes writing and publishing a little scary because you're oh, putting a piece of yourself out there to the terrifying, like for everyone to judge and read. Um, but yeah, the the main protagonist <clears throat> is based off of me at the core. And the younger sister is based off of my younger sister at the core. And the relationship as well is kind of based off of us. But what's really interesting is as I wrote, these characters kind of branched off to become their own yes. um, because definitely by the end, I was like, Oh, this is not my sister, but um, it's so neat to kind of see them leap off the page and right. develop and become something else. Oh, great. Now, yes, Ray, I think he always does. It's this, this book, obviously a clear, clear example of 
when you're starting a book off, it goes in a direction you're not expecting, no matter if you've plotted it mm -hmm. out or not. And the characters, like, they're doing like that. This book is a great example. I felt them coming to life themselves as more along it went. So, no, brilliant with that straight away. So, tell us a bit more about the, this perfect society. So, just people know in this other world, then. Because, like I said, there's, I'll yeah. let you say it rather than me, right? Because there's you, there is yeah, things yeah. in this that definitely don't happen in our world. <laughs> I know. Well, well. First, Andy. I mean, do you do you read dystopias? You know, like the not as much as I should do, but I do. Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, like nineteen eighty four, things oh, like that. Yeah, love nineteen eighty four. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I also love Blood, love Blade Runner as well. Yeah, the the, the mm. film version, and obviously, I've read the original short stories. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, the classics, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Yes, because so these were like inspirations for me, um, like. Mostly 1984. I wanted it to feel that way, like, ooh, a government is watching all the time. But just, like, take a little step back and be a little less dark <laughs> that 1984 oh, yeah. was. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so in this perfect or dystopian, utopian society, um, the humans function a little differently from us in that they all have a kind of perfect memory um, and in this world, it's called uh, Campa Retinentia, which is actually a combination of like Japanese and Latin, because um, I have to make a I had to make up a word. <laughs> and, As you do, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So in their world, it's called Campa Retinentia, um, which kind of is a combination that means like perfect recall, and um, they all basically have a type of photographic memory where they're like a perfect log inside their heads so they can go back and like recall exactly what they were doing at whatever moment on whatever day to like the most small details and the thing is they can revisit it and actually like focus in on details that they weren't aware of in the moment so it's like you have a recording in your head yeah. um because of that uh, obviously, crime rates in the society are very low because everyone has perfect memory and it, and they have like systems that where they can go in and pull up the memory for us to watch on a screen. Um, but the issue is because they have such like perfect memory, um, it's a little too much for the brain to handle. And so as they get older, especially once they hit 18, the brain starts to basically deteriorate in terms of like the synapses that make those connections. Um, and so because it starts kind of deteriorating at that point, well, the children um, kind of mature very fast because they have that memory and that mature maturity. Uh, but once they start deteriorating, they need the government's help. And that's where the government kind of overlook steps in so they have like a serum that people can shoot themselves with to like help refresh and recall their memory. Um, the government has these rooms where people can go in and like see the memory. So they need help from the government to recall the memory and see it, even though it's still in their heads. They just like can't make that connection anymore. And so because of that, I mean, the government is helping the people. Um, they also have universal food care. And that's kind of like a nudge toward the fact that we, you know, we have food deserts here um, all over the world and food issues. And so this society is like universal food care and they calculate it based off of some sort of formula on like number of people in your household, like your job, et cetera. Um, yeah, they have a lot of perks. 
but because the government can look at your memories, uh, they know everything and they don't see the issue with it. But like, obviously us, like we do, we're like, oh my gosh, like they can see everything, <laughs> you know, they know everything that's going on. Um, and uh, the issue is when they know everything and you have to go through them to see your memory, they can definitely kind of mess with it a little bit. Uh, yeah, and that's the yeah. big problem. Yeah, no. Well, we won't give any more spoilers away because that's obviously where a lot of the, the fun starts. And the, <laughs> fun's a good word, isn't it? Fun starts in the second half of the book, definitely. Now, I want to. The other thing I want to talk about in this mm-hmm. book, particularly, is I liked it when you went. The, the two girls went into this other world and they met. The sort they met how the world was policed. So I found that was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that then. Yeah, no, thank you for um, asking about that. So in this new world, they don't have police. They call they call them enforcers. Yeah. Um, because um, the why did them... they, where did you come the idea for enforcers? Because it that makes it feel like a bit like a vigilante almost, except it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. While I was writing this and developing this part, I was watching this animated series um, called Arcane on Netflix, which mm. I think is based off of a game. Um, but yeah what they have are enforcers um in their society uh but their enforcers are kind of intense they're very like quick to act and stuff but i was like ooh, that's an interesting name for something that i want so that's where the name came from and like in a way i also wanted them to sound very severe because the government is a little bit severe but it's like a little unclear um so that's why i stuck with that name and so what these enforcers do in the society, they're kind of like community mediators. And um, I think this is kind of like a nod towards Japan. So when I lived in Japan, not saying it's perfect, but what's interesting about like that uh, community and their police officers is that they don't hold guns. They don't, they're not armed, mm. uh, but also a big purpose of them is to just like help. Uh, like if someone is, lost or someone's like out and about like police will come and help and like people aren't really fearful of them um people like look to them for help um and I thought like you know what that would be kind of nice like these people are just like community mediators who help like solve problems or like firefighters get your cat out of the tree or something um and so that's what these enforcers are there's like one per sector and they're like the community's go-to person if someone sees someone who looks kind of fishy outside and they don't know what's going on. Or it's like, oh, like my neighbor took my bakeware and never returned it. Like, help us resolve this. Um, so these enforcers are really highly mm, viewed in this society. Like people really do like having yeah. them around. Yeah, you can, there is a full feel in the book, definitely, like I said. I remember it well when the two girls met the first enforcer. And it, mm-hmm. it can't think with the use of the word enforcer. It made me think, oh, blah, blah, what we got, what they walked into, like some sort of homicide maniac world. And they were told basically, yeah. I'm just not giving a big spoiler because it's early in the book, basically, this enforcer was a more softer one that they might encounter elsewhere. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting, straight away with it. So now, I want to ask you a couple of bits and pieces, obviously, but we give, we give plenty away with the book anyway, so but it's an excellent book. Now, you obviously applied for funding originally, didn't you, through Indiegogo.com, so when the book was first developed. Now, tell us about what made you want to go with that page. That page. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as many creators and just people know in general, publishing something does take some funds. Um, and I was like, what, what, what should I do? Um, and fortunately, my publisher, uh, New Degree Press, they they were like, well, you know, what we do with a lot of our authors is we have them run a campaign. Uh, you run a campaign, like a pre-order campaign. And so people can pre-order your book, which helps then fund your book and the publication of it. And I was like, oh, okay, like, that's great. And so the publication process for me actually was like, zero money out of my pocket. I did pay for like other things like consulting services, but the actual printing of it, laying out like all that stuff and like using editors um, was covered by my uh, Indiegogo. And honestly, it's also a great way to market, right? Like get early kind of excitement for it. I mean, that was the first time I announced it to like the world and my friends and family. I was like, hey, I have this pre-order campaign, right? Like if you pre-order it, my book is going to come to life. Um, really, I'm, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but also, like, I'll put your name in the acknowledgments because they did make the book happen, right? And so I think it's like, a, right? It's I think it's a cool experience for people. Like, wow, like my my name's in a book. I helped make this book happen. So, like, in a way, like this book isn't just my book. It's like the book of everyone who contributed. Um, so that's why I went on Indiegogo and I know Indiegogo has a lot of like indie or Kickstarter projects. Um, it's kind of a really cool place to peruse. Um, though like sometimes there's like weird, like tech gadgets on there as well. It's, it's very neat. Um, and so I thought it's a great avenue to get people to look at it. Like, you know, I am a new author, so it's a great place to, to put it on there and, and, uh, advertise there. I also liked as well, and I didn't ask you about this before, so the what little trailer that appeared on YouTube advertising your book from New Degree Press as well. I loved that. So did you um did you have much of a hand in that? Or was that more your publisher really that did that extra little trailer for you? Yeah, I know. It's a it's so funny. I never thought that like it would have a book trailer, right? I mean yeah. this is very intense. It's like a <laughs> yeah i've seen them um, before but that was but no, that was so, one of the better ones i've seen that definitely so <laughs> yeah well thank you yeah um so the idea was my publisher's idea they're like hey you should create a book trailer get people interested because obviously you don't have the book to show people so let's do a little trailer to get them a little interested and i was like okay and then as for the trailer itself it was mostly me in terms of what i wanted it to be so finding like the videos and the images that I wanted um, as well as choosing kind of like the thematic music background um, that was all me and then they put it together and I remember the first rendition wasn't exactly what I wanted um, so then I go back to them like hey like cut these super short like make these images go by really fast make sure it aligns with the music when the music changes like that was me and then they did that and yeah it came together no, it looks excellent, definitely. So now we'll start winding up at this point anyway, because I want to give you a chance to do a bit of reading for us in the second half. But obviously, to wrap up yeah. then, first of all, then, as people and uh, regulars to this podcast will know, I always like to ask, what plans do you have next? Yes. Um, if uh, I know you read it, Andy, and if anyone happens to pick it up, I think you'll see at the end of the book, I do plan on a sequel. 
Um, I do set it up for kind of a second, third book. Um, so I think that's that's very obvious there. But yeah. also, I think in the future, I um, I definitely want to do a prequel, Andy, with mm. uh, Romilda's story. Good, good. Yeah, yeah it's always I, a good idea if it helps you fill the... Because I always believe when the matter of, if you spend months right getting the book together the world, there's going to be stories mm-hmm. that reveal why it went in the state it did. So there is definitely always scope for that one, definitely. So, but that's straight away with it. So, no, like, good luck with yeah. it. So, now you made me laugh as for well. Sure. So, I'll just I'm ask you very quickly as well. Where was it now? Yeah, I love this <laughs> bit where in your bio on, on Amazon, which is a tremendous way, you, did, you mentioned about scrubbing, you're always scribbling mini stories wherever you can. I'm subsequently forgetting them. <laughs> oh, is it? Have you got yeah. like big piles of them in your, in, your, in your flat and stuff? And you don't know where they are. <laughs> yeah, basically, like I'll write it on a post it, right? Or a sticky note, mm. stick it somewhere, stick it in my agenda, and then just like never see it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like that. Because I've got like, if you ever see the way I write, I've got like lots of little A5 hardback books on my writing in. And I started these when I was 10, yeah. and I'm, I'm 50 now, so nothing to hide in it. I've got 65 of them wrote, so it's like filled up. And like it's sometimes if a publisher asks me, oh, Andrew, have you got that piece that you wrote on dot, dot, dot? And I think, yeah, yeah, give me two months to find it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, but yeah, no, I know what you mean with that. Excellent. So obviously, Judy, the series is wrap up then. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, where do you recommend they go? Yes. Um, if people want to find out more about me, I am the most active on Instagram. The handle is Judy, J-U-D-Y, Lou, L-I-U underscore author. You can find me there. I'm very active there. I might have a website coming up soon. We'll see. Ooh, fingers, um, fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed for that one. Definitely. So and I'm just gonna yeah. add you, I'm just gonna add you now on Instagram because I didn't know you're on that yeah, page. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Organized. Oh, I'll add you back. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, otherwise you can find my book on Amazon in your respective countries, um, Barnes and Noble online. And then for those who want to support like small indie bookstores, it's also on bookshop.org. I know for them, they like donate a portion to like little independent bookstores and stuff. So also on there. And I believe it's also on Target as well. I don't know if you guys have a Target over there. It's like a I've super- not heard it. That's not, okay. that's not what I've heard of. So. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. There probably is, but I've not heard of it. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> worries. Useless. It's just a supermarket. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me on all those main avenues in the book there. Brilliant. Okay, okay. We'll wrap up this bit then, Judy. Let you catch a quick pause for breath because if people are wondering today, it's seven o'clock in the morning where Judy is. So she needs a coffee before she goes into a novel. So <laughs> thank you. Taking a quick sip right now. <laughs> we'll see you all in a minute, guys. Okay. Let Judy finish the coffee off. See you in a minute. Spoken label. Hi guys, I'm the end. Spoken label. Fantastic Judy Lou. Over to Judy now. She's going to read out an extract from the novel. Over to you, my friend. Thank you, Andy. All right, the extract I'll read is from chapter one. Sage looked at the machine from around Mel's back. Looks really old and broken. Kind of cool. I've never seen these snacks around, she pointed out. Mel was so busy pressing random buttons, wondering if any would elicit a reaction from the dead machine, that she didn't look carefully at the display of snacks. She paused and brought her face closer. 
She saw a snack package advertising a purple-looking crescent cracker, cylindrical packages picturing pebble-like snacks, and candy bars she'd never seen. How strange. You're right. What are these? Sage shrugged. Maybe old snacks from mom's and dad's time? Then her eyes lit up. What if we could get one of these to bring back to mom and dad? They'd love it if it's from their time. Mel laughed. That's a good idea, if they actually recognize these. This is a great find. But the machine's broken. Yeah, but I'm sure if I just reach in from the bottom, I can get one. Sage knelt down, stuck her right arm through the bottom, where one usually grabs the purchased item, and started reaching upward. Mel could see Sage's hand peek out at the bottom of the display. She pressed herself against the display in excitement. Wait, I think you could reach one just a little farther. If you can grab the corner of a bag, maybe you can pull it down. Sage's face was contorted in concentration while she tried to twist her arm and push it in more. She was just a smidgen away from pinching the corner of the package with the purple crackers to pull down. I can't get it. Ugh. Sage pulled her arm out in frustration and stood up. They both stared at the snack bag they almost got. I think if we shake it to get it to move down a bit more, I can reach it, Sage mused. Mel tried to shake the machine, but it wouldn't budge. She knocked on the machine's plastic sheet, but nothing moved. How about this? Sage lifted her right foot backward, tried to align it to the row the snack bag was on, and swung her foot forward to kick it. Mel suddenly felt the floor fall out from beneath her, and her stomach lurched. Before she knew it, she felt she was being compressed. The breath squeezed out of her. I can't breathe. Opening her mouth to gasp for air that was not there, she felt her lungs starting to burn and her head pounding in panic. Her vision blurred as her body twisted, as if she had no bones. And as suddenly as it happened, she took in a big gulp of air and hit the ground. What a, te what a teaser. Definitely with that tremendous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, brilliant stuff, Judy. Definitely, I said it one day. I always say this anyway. I mean it, of course. Check the book out. It's great stuff. I really enjoyed this. So keep in touch, Judy. And when the second book comes out, you're welcome on again. I could ask you lots of deep probing questions about how your world changed between book one and two. So definitely with that. So, <laughs> so wait and see. So yeah, oh. most definitely. Yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you again, Andy. I had so much fun. It's been a pleasure today. So I really enjoyed it, Judy. You did a great chat to as we talked off in the break before. So good luck in the book, definitely. So anyway, guys and girls, that's thank it for today. Another episode of Spoken Label. Thank you again, Judy. Like I said, I always like saying thank you because I'm, I'm polite. So, but. As Don Callis mm -hmm. of Impact Wrestling says, says everybody, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all next time. Spoken Label.